Hello and welcome to the Android Central podcast for December 27th, 2018. It's the last podcast of the year. And as sad as I am, I'm also kind of happy to have a couple days off. Joining us on the podcast this week, we have returning Andrew Martinick. How are you? I'm glad we we made good on our penultimate claim last week. That would have looked really bad. It would have looked if pretty we bad. We, left we, him on a we held ourselves to a pretty high standard here when it comes to weekly the, the weekly cadence of our podcast. And by that mean by by that I mean we definitely do not. So yeah, I'm glad we followed through on that. We tried. Um, Russell Holly, welcome back. Thank you. Although now that you've said we get a couple of days off, something's going to happen on New Year's Eve, and I'm going to hold you accountable for that. Well, some Spider-Man DLC will be released, and yeah. you'll have to stay up all yeah. night playing the game. I'll, I'll get so like sad. A month early access to Kingdom Hearts three or something. Oh my god! I feel like that would just shake the world. I feel like you can't count that as work. Oh no. <laughs> oh, that voice, that voice that uh, we've wanted on the podcast for a long time. Lori Gill, L- Lori Gilpatrick, Lori Gil. goes by Lori Gill. How are you? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So Lori, um, if people don't know, uh, Lori is the uh, my counterpart on iMore.com. She is the mother of dragons, the, <laughs> the, the, the queen of mobile nations. She runs the show on uh iMore which used to be the apple counterpart to android central but now it is the everything counterpart i guess it's a little bit more expansive these days yeah 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 we're trying to branch out what we realize is just, um apple fans aren't just apple fans they're fans of tech so we want to broaden that and remind everybody that there's lots of great tech out and Lori came and hung out at Google I.O. with us. I did. It was so That's much right. fun. I had such a great time there. Google I.O. is absolutely spectacular and so much fun. And I loved all the people I met there. You know, one of the cool things that you did um, at I.O. was with Russell, went through the gesture navigation, filmed a video of it, compared the iPhone X um, to the Pixel 2 at the time and how the two were similar and different. And, um, you know, I, I think still to this day, the Pixel's gesture navigation is not as well received. I, I think that's putting it mildly mm-hmm. as, uh, as the iPhones. Um, and we're into the second year of, um, of the iPhone, like the, the, the next generation of iPhone navigation. Um, and I think it's, it's going pretty well. I think everybody's used to it now. My wife is, I'm 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 changing her iPhone 7 to a 10 this weekend and I'm interested to see how a complete newbie somebody who's only known the touch ID button the home button will feel going to gestures Right right Lori is that is that as big a a change as people I think It was so when I first got the 10 which right away of course um it it took me 2 3 days to remember that there's no button and that I had to I had to swipe to to call up the screen, but as soon as my brain kind of rejiggered to the new way of doing things, it was so familiar and so comfortable that I I felt like pushing a button seemed like so much work. I know how ridiculous that sounds, but gesture navigation works so much better with just your brain's natural way of moving and doing things that. Um, it just, it becomes second nature. It becomes like something you're not even thinking about. You're just doing it 
Whereas when you press a button, your brain kind of has to hit that signal, press a button. And so it's it's really not noticeable in any way. And I'm definitely somewhat exaggerating, but the difference between gesture navigation on 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 a software on a phone and like button touching software it's significant because your brain quickly adapts to this new method instead of remembering you know where where each button is what you do how to double tap or or something like that on the buttons the navig- the gesture navigations are just much more natural and much easier to remember yeah this is the holiday where uh this last weekend my entire family is now up to mm-hmm. Uh, having an iPhone 10, 10s, or 10R, and so I get to see how all of them, you know, have made their transition to gesture navigation, and nobody's complaining about it whatsoever. They don't complain about Face ID, nor do they complain about the the gesture navigations. Like Laurie was saying, it feel it seems like it feels very natural once you get over that hump of having that escape hatch of always being able to push the button. Even when yeah. the last two generations weren't actual buttons anyway, um, <laughs> right, that just yeah. made, it was just there to make you feel good about having the button there. Mm-hmm. And even as longtime iPhone users, they had no problem going to the gestures. Now, they they don't necessarily know all of the, I guess, more advanced little nuances of the newest software. But as far as the main gesture for home and multitasking go. There's no problem at all there. The two most I don't, important ones, yeah. Exactly. And I think that, uh, you know, Apple's, uh, they've done a better job with those gestures than than Google has. Google's gesture navigation on uh, Pi just doesn't feel as uh, intuitive and simple. I think a lot of that comes down to the the, the back button still being there, right? The like back I, button's I feel funky. Like, I feel like that's my biggest hang up with the the google gesture navigation is that it, it's just not it's not complete you yeah know, like a, a lot of the stuff for like multitasking feels really similar uh regardless of what phone i'm on but that that back button is still it's just weird having it there like they should have had a gesture to to you know fix that i think and maybe maybe not having the back button kind of kind of stops your brain from like moving forward with with learning because then it keeps having to revert back to touch a button, touch a button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's a that's a huge part of it because and now it's not there. Uh, the button doesn't appear when there's nothing to hit back on, right. which it it's tough because they're you know damned if you do, damned if you don't. There, <laughs> it, it has to happen at some point, but then you lose the visual cue of it being there. You know, it, because it. it it's no longer an escape hatch kind of thing. All you have is that one, um, you know, home button, home pill thing. But you also have this issue of you put the home button there that works as a button you can press and it takes you home, or it works to do this multitasking scrub thing. Oh, when right. you go to the because you, you can pull to the right for quick uh, switching, right. and then you can pull and then scrub left and right. It, they're trying to do too many things off of that one button, I think. Mm-hmm. Whereas. You know, the way that the iPhone does it is so much simpler, being able to swipe up and kind of hold and pull over. Mm-hmm. It's just all one gesture, and you kind of choose where you want to release it to to make different gestures happen, whereas Google is still kind of trying to figure things out. I would I would be shocked if this stays exactly like this for, for more than this generation. Right, and, you know, that that always happens with software. The companies that make them, they, they tweak, they change, they alter, they test you know, some sometimes when a new a new Apple operating system will drop, there'll be features that just completely got left out, and then 
in the next point update, it's back. And it, it's like they they were trying it out. Let's let's just leave this out and see what happens. And then they'll bring it back because either people recommended it or they just decided that it wasn't a problem to bring it back in. So it's like, it's kind of great though to see the way the software sort of develops over time. And we're sort of the guinea pigs of of technology's growth is, is you know, you don't really know what's going to hit and what's going to miss with consumers until you've made, you know, 2 million people try out your new features. And then from that, you can kind of learn what's important, what's not important, what works better, what works worse. What's what I find really interesting about about that, Laurie, is um, you know Apple only introduced the gesture navigation system when it introduced the iPhone X, um, and you know WWDC twenty seventeen was three months earlier. There weren't there weren't really. I mean, we knew it was happening, right? There were rumors, mm-hmm. but we didn't know what it would look like, how it would work. Right. Um, you know, they Apple introduced a whole bunch of APIs, and uh, developers could. I think they could see the the forest through the trees, but it was it wasn't obvious. And Apple, when they introduced the phone, then it you know it, it had to be this fully functioning you know mature um, interaction scheme, right? And it had to work for the millions of people that were going to buy the iPhone 10 on day one, right. even though the iPhone 10 came out in November, whereas the seven and or the eight and eight plus came out in in September. So there were a couple of months between them, but still they. You know, that was something that they had to get right from day one. Whereas Google, when it introduced this, it came out with the second developer preview of Android Pie. And Android Pie itself is still like less than 1% of the total user base of Android. But even among that, within, you know, within the, it was just the Pixel 1 and Pixel 2, right, that could use the developer preview. And it was in beta, so only a few people actually downloaded it. And there's, it still seems like they're beta testing it, even mm-hmm. though it's now available by default on the Pixel 3. Um, I, I guess the number of people using gestures is tiny compared to the number that are using it on the, on, on the iPhone 10, 10s, 10R, 10s Max. Like there's just, it's not even comparable. There's something to be said for sort of forcing forcing the the um the change to be made if you if you're not if you're not sort of forced to do it you'll just keep things the way that they are because you're used to it i, I think google does a really good job of updating their their um their gmail um user interface they do it in fits and spurts they make minor changes they show you that there's something new that you can try but you can still go back to the old stuff and they keep it like that for like a year before they finally say to you okay it's time to switch over we're going to make you move over to the new version, but they, they, they sort of slowly bring you on board. And that's kind of like, I like that, but I guess in some respects, like with navigation, for example, maybe you just got to rip that bandaid off and send them, send them out there in the new, the new gestures. Right. But I bet that Google wishes it could rip that bandaid off, but with all of these different manufacturers, uh, it's completely optional. They can choose to put in the new gesture navigation. Uh, But the funny thing is that they can also choose to still use the old back home recents. And they can also choose to have their own gesture navigation if they wish, um, which all kind of use slightly different versions of what it kind of 
copying Apple's, using a little bit of Google's, using a little bit of their own. Um, they're all completely different. And right. obviously, that's not really a problem for most people because they don't switch between, you know, a Samsung phone and a Google phone and an iPhone and an LG phone and a OnePlus phone, like on a regular basis or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, completely, <laughs> it completely fries our brains, or yeah. at least it, it does for, for me. So you end up going to the lowest common denominator of back home recents, or you switch them around if you're you're terrible like Samsung. But even even in that case, you know, then they release their their newest beta and it has a completely different gesture system. Uh, and you kind of wonder how normal people handle that with just a software update. That's, I think, the one thing you could say about the way that Apple did it with rolling it out to the iPhone 10. Mm-hmm. They waited until it was this new form factor that no longer had the home button and the form factor coordinated with the switch gestures. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I want to use this as a jumping off point to talk loosely about the topic of today's podcast, which is um, tech resolutions for 2019. You know, this has been the year that both Apple and Google introduced their own versions of digital well-being. Apple calls it screen time. Google calls it digital well-being. Both are meant to help you curb the amount of time that you spend on your phone by giving you actionable uh, item actionable um, you know tasks that you can that you can take um, actions that you can take uh, things that you can learn about yourself so that you can make better informed decisions about how you use your phone and at the same time I think that this year also saw the most marked um, pushback against big tech that I've seen since being in this industry. You know, Facebook was under fire long before 2018, but this year was the year of Cambridge Analytica. It was the year that it really came under scrutiny for not being, uh, not putting its users' privacy first, not putting uh, an emphasis on on keeping data secure. Um, other companies, even Google, were under more heavy scrutiny. They were fined in the EU for anti-competitive practices. And, you know, even though the smartphone industry is still growing, it's kind of reached the zenith where it's slowing down. It's, uh, in some cases, growth is is dropping in certain parts of the world where there's saturation. Everybody has a smartphone now. It's just about making sure that those people, uh, that people who don't have a smartphone have access to them. So I want to talk about what we're all going to do next what we're all going to enter 2019 thinking about when it comes to tech and how this year has informed what we'd like to do in the future. So Lori, I'm I'm going to start with you because um you know, this is something that is not platform specific. But you know, Apple introduced these um these tools to millions of people screen time. How do you think those have been received by the general and uh, Apple user base, iOS user base, and have has it changed the way that you use your iPhone? I think screen time has been a really good benefit to the average person because a, a lot of a lot of my friends who are not tech people but they have phones, as soon as screen time came out, started recognizing how much they were using their devices, and and some even started putting their own self restrictions on. They were putting downtime on their own phones to stop themselves from doing things or app limits. Like I'm going to set an app limit to, um, you know, only use FaceTime for 10 minutes a day or something like that. So 
I think it's actually been really great to just kind of help create an awareness of how often we're spending time with our screens. And, it, you know, it, it seems counterintuitive for a tech company to want to remind you not to use their products. So it seems seems so weird that they would sort of present this thing to you of, hey, you need to pay attention to how often you're using your your phones or your tablets or your computers. And but I but I think it ends up working out really well because it doesn't just tell you get off your phone. It just tells you, you know, we're just kind of giving you a heads up on on what you're doing and how much time you're spending and things. And, you know, if you, you know, want to set some New Year's resolutions, maybe you can, you know, base that off of your you know, your screen time or how much you spend on a, on a particular, um, program or something like that. So I think for, for them, it's really helped my significant other who is the opposite of tech savvy. He's very, you know, I used to call him a tech curmudgeon. He didn't even own a smartphone until about two Hmm. years ago. So he was really, really resistant to the whole thing. Uh, he's had screen time turned on for his iPhone and actually found himself competing with his previous week. So if his, if his screen time was up, or if his, his percentages were up, he would sort of, oh, you know, I'm going to do better this time and spend less time using his phone. You know, that's a very specific thing of like, use it or don't use it. But it it kind of helped him sort of see, oh, you know, I thought I never used my phone and I actually use it a lot more than I realized. So I'm going to make an effort to kind of, you know, do some other things. Like we're both kind of creative people. But if you've got your face in your phone all day long, you stop being creative. And, you know, you don't like draw or write songs or, you know, create things as much unless you're creating them on your phone. So it's, it's a good benefit. I think I, I love screen time. I love that Google and Apple have both kind of championed this idea of sort of, um, healthy living with technology. And I don't mean like your physical health, but your sort of dependence on technology. Well, and I, th- I think the interesting thing about the, the way that people are using it on iOS versus Android uh, is something that I heard in conversation over the holiday. Uh, n- nobody that I talked to knew that it was a feature called screen time or knew that it was a new thing that Apple had rolled out. The, the way that it was described to me, I thought was really fascinating. And that was uh, when I got my software update once a week, I started getting this notification from Apple telling me how many hours I had used on, I had used my phone that week. So they thought it was a software update. <laughs> they just thought it was a thing. Yeah, that it was a yeah. thing. Like it wasn't, and it, they didn't. It didn't occur to them that it was an individual feature uh, that had right. been added. That, like you know, because it wasn't something that was announced uh, right. in the same way that you know a new camera feature or something was announced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I thought that was really interesting because Google, Google has that setup in digital well-being, but you have to go in and turn it on. Uh, mm-hmm. whereas all of the stuff in screen time is, or a lot of the stuff in screen time is on by default when you, right. when you set up an iPhone, like it's just, right. it's just a thing that's on. Uh, and so I, I thought that was really interesting was that that was the big takeaway for a lot of people, uh, was the, that notification on Sunday afternoon <laughs> saying, this is how many hours you've used your phone this week. Uh, and it caused them to to kind of take a step back and, and be like, no, there's no way I use the phone that much. And then they look <laughs> and, you know, they see the breakdown. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that's the that's the way to present it to so many people is is not not to have it be this active system, but have it be this kind of passive reminder uh, that, that, you know, you're you're using your phone a lot more than you thought you were. You know, maybe you should uh, maybe you should use Twitter a little less. Yeah. Just kind of making you aware. I mean, if if you're looking at those numbers and you're like, that's fine, then, you know, you're aware and you're fine with it. And if you're looking at those numbers and you're thinking, 
I think I'm addicted to social media. Maybe I should cut it back. Then you can go in and you can set up that program that will restrict you from using those social media sites every single day. And that can kind of help wean you off it. And, you know, um, web addiction or, you know, in this, in what I'm speaking to specifically, um, social media addiction, it's real and people will have a hard time Mm -hmm. breaking from it. And if there's something that is just sitting in your lap, helping you control that, and you can take baby steps to kind of wean yourself off of those things that you're, um, that you feel compelled to participate in. I think that's, that's good for everyone. Russell stumbled on something very important there, that unless this is something that is brought to your attention, that it's on your phone, you're not going to have that little nudge that you probably need Mm -hmm. to start to take a look at it. And the way that digital well-being rolled out was kind of the worst of, of all worlds because it was exclusive to Pixels that had been updated to Pi, and it didn't even come out until weeks after um pi had been announced uh months even i think when you talk about the final rollout with the pixels and by that point it was no longer kind of a headline feature and you unbox a pixel 3 and you start it up and there's no mention of it at all mm-hmm. it, it's so it just not offer, even there in in the setup process it doesn't say hey would you like to turn on well-being no because there's there's the bigger problem which is actually a benefit of digital well-being is is that it's not just about app timers. Mm -hmm. It's about all kinds of, it's like a suite of features that's uh, look at your usage of your phone across apps and services and all that kind of stuff. Then you can set individual timers if you wish. And also it encompasses things like wind down, which helps you um, like enter your phone into do not disturb in the evening, turn your phone uh, grayscale uh, in the evening or on whatever schedule you'd like. And uh, the feature that I like the most uh, called flip to shush, (laughs) which you put your phone face down and it immediately goes into do not disturb mode and turns off. Oh, that's so great when you're at a dinner party or you're just like, you thought that you were having a casual conversation with someone and then suddenly it turns serious. You just set your phone right down on the table and you're paying attention to the person in front of you. That's a great, great feature. These are all things that are technically a part of digital well-being, but the rollout was so kind of slow and disjointed and it wasn't ever really surfaced to users that it's hard for it to get any traction. And of course, there are all the inherent problems of, well, if I come up against a screen, uh, a screen time timer or an app timer, I can just, you know, I'm an adult, I can just flip into the settings and turn it off and then never come back to it again. Mm -hmm. But at least, you know, these are these are really important things. And Google, I think, could have done a better job to surface them to people and make it part of the experience if you wanted it. So that's for for Apple users, we're 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 used to being told what to do. It sounds like a, a <laughs> negative thing. But what I mean by that is it, very specifically with the screen time, it's there. Um, it's just it's just on by default and you can go turn it off. So we're sort of being told what to do here. They're kind of doing it for us. But I don't think that Google users feel as comfortable with that sort of sort of like heavy handed. Yeah. And I think that I think that Google was would be doing its users a disservice to kind of like make that on by default, because then they would feel like somebody's trying to um, sort of, you know, tell them what to do. And I I don't know. I, I wish that more people would engage in, in digital well-being from based on what you're saying. But I also think that that Google users, that Android users 
are, are they're not comfortable with that sort of, you know, like handholding, you know, they want to, it's they an incredibly hard themselves. line to walk. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody that's using a supported Android device right now, turn on digital well-being. One of you two explain how to do that real quick. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that it's different on every device. And right now only devices with Android Pi and even the ones like the, it depends on the manufacturer. Um, I don't even think, Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong. Are there digital well-being features in Samsung's One UI update? No, I believe it's only Pixels. Yeah, well, there's a Huawei. So on EMUI, for example, EMUI 9 on the Huawei Mate 20, there are um, digital well-being features, but they're not the same. It's not a, it's, it's not the, it's not a one-to-one comparison. Um, but I, I want to kind of take a, a higher level view of this because, you know, Laura, you mentioned Apple, you know, Apple users, I, iOS users are, 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 are used to Apple kind of telling them what to do. I, I suppose that's one way of putting it They're They're more, you know, we we're generalizing here, obviously, but yeah. there's, there, there, there's like a, uh, a sort of an understanding that if Apple updates a piece of software and when that feature rolls out, it rolls out to hundreds of millions of devices, you know, credit mm-hmm. to Apple where it's due, they update millions of devices on the same day in every country and, you know, barring a few examples, the rollouts are generally smooth. And when those big September 19th updates hit every year, there are new features that hundreds of millions of people get to play with and unpack. Um, You know, one thing that Apple has been criticized of doing and Google is that they don't really show how to use those features a lot of the time, right? They rely on sites like ours, like App Android Central, iMore, to do these in-depth um, how-tos. Thank you in some way, because <laughs> yeah, I guess I, it keeps us... I wouldn't us, have my job if it weren't for It that. <laughs> keeps us in Gucci and gold. But at the same time, like it, it would be nice for Apple to look, to, to kind of see that there are every type of person using these devices, and here's how to here's how to optimize your phone so that you may not sit, you know, you may not find yourself at midnight flipping through Twitter or Instagram, you know, night after night. And, and I wonder, is it really Apple's responsibility? Is it Google's responsibility or is it our responsibility? And is introducing these features, is it letting us off the hook in some way by saying, Hey, we, we have them now. Like, Oh, I can, initiate downtime or i can initiate an app limit if i want but i won't because i you know i have i have enough self-control um and is this going far enough should it go as far as it has like i'm kind of of two minds about this whole thing it's it's really weird right because you have some people who they laugh at the fact that they can that when twitter turns off on their phone because they've enabled that you know to only give me an hour of twitter that they can still use twitter via the web well, you can also just like literally override disable it, it yeah. that you can override right. it, but it's for your, it's, it's self-policing in, in, in that way. You know, if you had something that like literally disabled your phone, you might get kind of angry and not use it at all. But if you can like self-police and, and not use it because you feel like it's right to not use it, you know, it, for somebody to say, well, that's ridiculous because I can just go to the web and use it. You're not, you're not thinking about the purpose of it, which is. To, to do this for yourself. If you if you feel so compelled to use a, an app or a service 
that you were willing to like break your own rules, then, then you have a lot more sort of self, <laughs> self, uh, reflection to do instead of just saying that somebody else did something stupid, you should kind of think to yourself, like, why is it so important to me that I continue to use the service even after I've told myself to stop doing it? So, so here, I mean, here's something that I, I find really interesting. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm sure that all of us have at one point eaten chips for dinner or, or, you know, overdone <laughs> you it on the, night? exactly. Or overdone it on, you know, the, the carrot cake when you know you shouldn't have or whatever, right? There's, you know, I, there's that whole, I'm an adult, I can do what I want and I can eat ice things, cream for breakfast. Yeah. And things will kind of work at it, work itself out because you're going to have a healthy meal tonight or tomorrow. And generally you don't do this every day, but it's, it's almost like we don't tell ourselves that when it comes to overusing our phones is that we justify it to ourselves. And by the end of the day, we know that we've used our phones too much. We know that it's distracted us too much during the day. And yet we continue to do it. We don't really take the steps necessary to curb our use. Um, and for us in our yeah. industry, I know that that's even more of an issue because we're required to use these phones for our jobs and we have to balance it. Um, but Andrew, what's like, how do you find that balance? Uh, it, well, it's really difficult because there there's this network effect of kind of wherever, wherever the group goes, you go in a, in a way that, and because these devices are all about you know, you're spending a lot of the time on them interacting with other people through, you know, messaging or photo sharing services or Twitter or what or Facebook or whatever. It's kind of all uh, kind of self-fulfilling because you're part of that network. And the reason, you know, it kind of has this perpetual motion to it. And for you to step out when nobody else is stepping out makes it even harder for you to leave. It's not like we're all holding up our phones, you know, reading novels on them or something that, that's kind of a, you know, you're just taking in information. It's, it's a two way interaction. And of course the funny part about it is that you're giving up on the interactions with the people that are actually like within arm's length of you in order to <laughs> talk to somebody on Twitter. You don't know there, there's of course that issue, but for me, it's it's actually not even using these, I mean, uh, digital well-being or whatever you want to call it. It's uh, For me, I just wrote a, a little editorial about this recently, but the important thing was using Do Not Disturb, having my phone on silent most of the time, uh, reducing the number of notifications that I get, uninstalling apps like Facebook, and using my just putting my phone face down and do not disturb mode as often as possible, just so that it's just not it's not even tempting. Uh, so many times, just like everybody else has experienced, you pick up your phone and unlock it just like for no reason at all. You're just looking for something to do and you kind of cycle through the same apps, you know, your Google News or your Twitter or Facebook or whatever news reader you like or a messaging service or your email app. And it's, there's just no reason for you to be doing it. It's just kind of this compulsive thing that you do. And so for me, it's having the phone not alerting me about anything and just keeping it face down is one of the best ways to just stop that compulsive picking up. And that keeps the rest of it from running over from there. I don't know how you feel, but 
I used to feel like my phone was sort of my friend when I'm alone. And if I was standing in line at a grocery store or something where I didn't have anyone to talk to or anything to do with my hands or my face or my eyes, my phone became like very important to me because it would let oh, yeah. me sort of like t- shut the world off around me. And I made long before screen time existed, I made this conscious decision that I, when I was faced with those situations where I was standing in line somewhere and I didn't have anything to do, I would make, I would not touch my phone and look around and engage with just whatever was in front of me, whether it was like some little kid playing with a toy in a basket or, you know, like a couple that were, you know, kissing each other, standing in line at the DMV or something like that. And it reminds you that the world is like, it's moving and it's vibrant and it's active around you because you can, you can take in a lot of information on, uh, uh, you know, using your mobile devices, but you can't take in the little things that are just right in front of your face. And it's kind of liberating to remind yourself that, that there are people right next to you who could use, you know, a chat. And if you're not too shy to do it, you can actually have really great conversations with strangers just by standing in line with them and asking them how their day is or commenting on something that's with them or near them. And, you know, the, our, our phones stop us from doing that. Our, our phones like sort of tell us that we like, they make it so that we don't have to engage with other people, but engaging with other people is literally how we became the social beings that we are today. If, if not for our ability to talk to each other, we would have just been, you know, single hunter gathered nomads out in the middle of nowhere and eventually died off. <laughs> um, Russell, you had mentioned earlier that you have this uh, New Year's resolution that you're putting in place. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Because I, I found that really interesting. Well, yeah, so I I do a couple of, I guess they're weird things when it comes to my phone already. Like my phone doesn't go in my bedroom at the end of the day. It, it lives in my office on its charger. I don't uh, my phone is not the first thing that I reach for in the morning. That's a thing that I started uh, a little over a year ago. It's, you know, my, my phone is something that I get later in my morning. It's not part of my morning routine usually. Uh, and I felt like that helped a lot when it came to just how I interact with my phone on a, on a regular basis. So I'm not, you know, using my phone before going to bed or anything like that. But uh, I throughout the middle of the day, it's still a pretty solid distraction machine. So I've been giving some serious thought to just going through and, and maybe even going one step beyond do not disturb and just turning off every notification, like going through every one of my apps and just making it so that it is impossible for it to deliver a notification to me uh, so that I, I have to go into that app to, to see, you know, what messages are coming and, and kind of interact with those things on, on my own terms, right? Like, in, instead of like the notification saying, you, you have to give attention to this app. Now I, I go in and choose to, to spend time, you know, looking through my email or choose to spend time seeing who's talking to me on Facebook messenger or something like that. I have such a strong FOMO that I've had to do that for almost all of my apps already, because I, I, I'm so compelled that when I see that red dot or that yeah. you know pop up, I I have to check it. So I actually turned it off on everything except Slack, which is what we use for work and messages, because I found myself even if I know, like I you you'd see the pop up and Russell, you've probably had this. You'd see maybe a Twitter pop up that was a mention to you, and you'd see it and you'd go, well, I don't need to check that right now. I'll check it later. But there's this little 
nag in the back of your mind that for, that just makes you go check it anyway, even though you know it's not important and you don't need to check it. Well, and it's especially frustrating for for me, this this bizarrely stupid first world problem that I have, and that because I switch back and forth constantly between my Pixel 3 and my iPhone XS, uh, the notifications don't sync very well between those two platforms, right? So mm-hmm. if I if I have gone through and checked everything on Twitter, uh, and then I go to leave the house and I decide that I'm grabbing my iPhone instead of my Pixel, all of those notifications are still there. So I have to go through and check them all again. Uh, and, and it doesn't, you know, it ends up being, you know, the exact same set of notifications, but because those notifications are in the tray, I, I, I get exactly like you said, Laurie, like I just get that itch, you know, where, where I have to go and check them. Uh, even though logically I know that I've already seen all of these notifications. So yeah, it's, it's a, it is, that is, like I said, it's, it's a bizarrely stupid first world problem, but it's, that's part of what has kind of pushed me in this direction. Daniel, what are, what are you doing um, with your notifications? Do you have any sort of, what, what's your date, not your New Year's resolution, but your day-to-day process with the notifications? My, my, my process right now is just that I, I don't think about it. And that's a problem. I get, I don't, unless an app is spammy, um, as some are, I don't disable individual apps. I haven't been um, triaging my um, my my notifications much, um, but on I want to say a week ago, I switched over from my Pixel Three to my iPhone XS, and I'll tell you why. It's not because I like the XS better; it's because I'm wearing an Apple Watch, mm. and I knew that the Apple Watch um, in this time of year would be extremely helpful because. I'm I'm traveling almost every day um, to family to see friends. I'm trying to fit in as much as possible, and I'm holding a baby uh, or dealing with a baby like eighty percent of the day. And I knew that it would not be realistic for me to get a notification in my pocket and check it. And yes, I could have used a Fitbit or a, or a um uh, an, a Wear OS device, but I don't like any of them for n- notification triage. And the I, the Apple Watch is still the best way, in my opinion, to get notifications on your wrist. And I found that it's it alone has made me much less um, anxious about mm. receiving notifications. Right. Um, and this goes all the way back to the original Apple Watch or wearable um justification right why use a smartwatch in in general and we at first it was you know to reproduce your phone in some way on your wrist and then i think we realized that that wasn't going to work so we stopped using the apps developers stopped updating the apps and eventually we kind of settled on two things notification triage and fitness Mm -hmm. and i like the fact that my apple watch just gives me this little buzz on my wrist it's easy to check it and if i don't want to do anything with it i can ignore it um, that alone has actually made a big difference. And my 2019 goal is to find a way to do that on my phone so that I don't need a smartwatch to be that intermediary. And ideally, I don't need an Apple Watch to do it because I don't want to use an iPhone all year. I want to I want want to use an Android phone all year. But mm-hmm. um, you know, that's my my take from this is that you you have to minimize the overhead of notifications as much as possible in order for the effect not to be detrimental. And even still with an Apple Watch on my wrist, I feel that heaviness, that anxiety of over-notificating, you know, a notifying of, of receiving too many notifications. 
And it, it's really stifling. And I know that I'm not alone in this, but I feel very much alone because it's not something that we talk about on a regular basis. Um, you know, you can be at dinner with your family and everybody's on their phone, but very few people anymore, I feel, are, are acknowledging that or are telling you, put down your phone, let's have a conversation. It's almost like it's just an accepted practice. Or well, in, that's the reverse, why the, I, if, <laughs> it, in the reverse, it becomes sort of this punishment and you start resenting your family that for having to spend yeah. time with him. No, but I resent my phone. I, no, that, but that's why I've started to just be the person that says, can you please put your phone down and just be extremely stern about it? Because the, the, the people don't realize it. They don't realize what they're doing when they're when they're holding onto their their phone like that. They don't realize how long they they think they picked up their phone to check something really quick, and then five minutes later they're still looking at their phone. I've actually had really good responses from people when you say, "Can you please put your phone down?" Because they they realize it at that moment that they've they've been the one that's that's been you know away from the conversation or or you know, rude and putting that on everybody else. Yeah. Russell, um, you know, this is something that came to mind the other day because I watched the, the movie eighth grade. Um, and, you know, if you don't know, eighth grade is a, is a movie about a 13 year old girl who is trying to deal with uh, the last day of middle school, uh, the last week of middle school and, and her life revolves around Instagram um, and social media, and she's a vlogger, and it's just, it's very interesting. And I wonder, you know, as somebody who has teenagers, um, who, you know, as somebody who's also mindful of being some, you know, of not overusing your device, how do you get them to balance things? Well, it's, it's a, it's kind of a constant conversation, right? Uh, that this, I found that was the most effective way. And it's a little weird in my house because my, my oldest, who's really the only one who regularly uses, a phone outside of the house uh, for for much, but she uh, had a really nasty run in with Instagram a couple of years ago with some some bullying stuff in school. Uh, so Instagram and and Facebook and things like that, she she kind of naturally shies away from them anyway, a little differently from her friends. She likes the idea of having them to communicate uh, with with her friends, but she's much more comfortable in kind of like a group chat or something like that than she is just kind of sharing her life on uh, on a social network, which is is kind of a blessing uh but the way that we got there was not so uh it's it's a little different but it's it really is just kind of a constant conversation for for us it's you know when uh we we take a look at the the way she's using her phone we have a conversation with her about the way she's using her phone she's using apps that uh let her do you know let her have conversations with friends in in kind of group chat ways but not through what i would consider normal group chat apps uh so it's it's really just kind of, you know, discussing what, you know, what she's giving up when she's uh, sitting on the couch doing nothing but using her phone or, or you know, what happens when she reaches into her pocket when she's having a conversation with uh, another person while out at a restaurant or something like that. And that I feel like has had a really positive effect is not not giving her a list of rules uh, so much as as just kind of constantly talking about how things are used and, and what the potential social consequences of that is. That's a great, like talking about it is you're right. I don't have kids of my own, but I just, I always feel like ha open communication between people is the best way to kind of 
understand each other and get to the bottom page. And that goes with everything, not just technology. Yeah, I often think that, you know, you have to, especially with your your significant other or your your family in general, you do have to have that that open dialogue about it. I mean, my wife and I had to sort of look at each other um, after dinner, like we would eat dinner, we would maybe watch a show during dinner, and then immediately afterwards, or even during the show sometimes, we'd just be on our phone. My, my wife has been playing threes for like four years <laughs> now, and it's just like a part of her life. She just plays it it's like an ambient experience for her she doesn't even concentrate on it it's just there it's it's familiar it's fun and you know we'd have to have these conversations where okay once this show is finished once dinner is over no phone time or we have to you know let's play uh, a board game or let's just talk or let's just put our phones on the other side of the room and and and, and as as like icky as that feels you know, the you, you needing to do that feels sort of, um, it, it's almost reductive in a way. I find that that is really the only way to ensure that everybody has a quality experience from whatever time you're allotting to what you're focusing on, be it a, a board game or a conversation or something else. That's uh, That's absolutely the case. It's also really important to keep in mind that there are, there is just a fair group of people out there who... Uh, in in intense social situations, use their phone in the same way that they would use a book, right? So uh, when I was younger, I brought a book with me everywhere. And when the there was just too many people around me, I would I would start reading my book if I needed to just chill out for a second. And I was fortunate enough that I had parents who kind of got that and and you know weren't you know constantly snatching the book out of my hand. I I know other people. Uh, who kind of weren't so fortunate. And so you, you see a lot of that now uh, with phone use in large crowds of people where where you have someone who the environment just gets too much for a second. So they go to kind of use their phone as a shield for for that social anxiety for a moment. And it's really easy to to kind of look down on that person uh, for, for being constantly on their phone. And I feel like that that is a very different experience than than what we see as social uh, addiction. Uh, because it really is just like they're still they're still mostly present in that moment. They're still able to participate in the conversation, but it's a it's a, a anxiety shield uh, more than anything else. And it's so it's a it's an interesting kind of line to walk with some people. That's fascinating, and that's absolutely true. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I saw this tweet the other day that I found really funny. Um, this this person was a smoker, and they're saying how they're not able to. Um, they, they don't have the same experience going to parties anymore where when you were feeling anx- anxious or overwhelmed by a situation, you could just walk outside and have a cigarette and find a couple of other people who were doing the same thing. And because so few people smoke these days, that's just not the case anymore. And they're not able to do that. Um, or they're usually the only person outside by themselves. Um, and I find that is true with phones, that you you use it as a way to just step back from a situation, reevaluate it, and then put your phone away and you're recharged. It's just that some people consider it rude. And, you know, I remember, Lori, I had a conversation with Renee when the Apple Watch just came out, when people were, he was anticipating people would find looking at your watch rude, thinking that you were looking at the time yeah. because you wanted to get away from a situation where, no, you're just shifting your attention momentarily from your phone to your watch. 
Right. But that's that's a gesture that we, for decades and decades, have considered the I've got to go gesture when you look yeah. at your watch in the middle of a conversation. And and that is definitely not, that's still not trained in us that when you're looking at your watch, it doesn't mean that you are hoping to leave this situation. And it's that's a hard one. And um, I think I wrote an editorial about that too, about how like there are just some times when you, you know, looking at your watch instead of your phone is supposed to be better because it keeps you more engaged with the person in front of you. But the person in front of you doesn't realize that looking at your watch means I'm actually trying to pay more attention to you. It looks like to them, you are saying, oh, I'm, there are more important things for me right now. It's, it's a, it's a weird little thing. <laughs> well, in, in a way you are saying that there are other things more important than that person because you're still looking away from them. I think that that, that social cue is still there, but you're right. The nuance of it is lost because what you're saying is like, I'm just trying to keep up on something. I have something, you know, I'm just glancing at it yeah. rather than doing a full action of picking up a phone and unlocking it and that that sort of thing. Right. But I still think that there's room in society to kind of back away from thinking that everything is that important all the time. Mm -hmm. Because most of the time my smartwatch uh, vibrates, it's something that is not time sensitive, if not just entirely not useful at all. Right. I mean, even if you're just waiting until the other person has finished their sentence, <laughs> there's sometimes where people are looking at their notifications, like literally mid-sentence when someone is talking to them. And that does kind of, it seems very abrupt to just sort of say, I know that you're saying something very important right now, but, but I'm going to pay attention to this notification, even though like literally it could be, you know, <laughs> we're having a baby right now just waiting that two extra seconds for the for the sentence to finish is is not hurtful to anyone, you know. That's also that brings up a, a good point, Laurie. Um, nobody phones each other anymore. Oh no, and, not at all. And then yeah. when you receive a phone call from somebody, you either ignore it or it's an emergency. Like it depends on who is calling you. Yeah. But if it's your mom, you pick it up and it's an emergency. But if it's like your friend or you know, just some per an acquaintance, you're like, ah, I think that'll go to voicemail. I'll, I'll text them later. And Except I for wonder your friends how don't call you. <laughs> right. You're, I mean, I don't like, I, I speak to maybe one or two friends on a regular basis and the rest of them, I just text or WhatsApp or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I wonder how that shift from communicating almost entirely via text or in some form of text-based communication has changed how you guys communicate with the people in your lives in general. I definitely communicate more with people that I didn't communicate with as much by using text instead of phone. I don't like being on the phone. I think it's something that was ingrained in me as a child. I was kind of berated as a being a typical teenage girl if I was on the phone for more than five minutes. So I sort of quickly learned that I didn't want to be on the telephone. Um, so... I didn't like, I don't like phone conversations. I don't like to be on the phone with someone for more than a few minutes, but I can text back and forth with friends, groups of friends all day long, sending pictures and even, you know, little video clips and, and like maintain day long communications with people at, in small incremental bites instead of having to wait until the end of the day and spend 30 minutes regaling your, your afternoon. Like I, I can get, um, a text message from a friend 
in while she's at work in the middle of the day telling me that she just got a promotion and I can send her my congratulations and everything without having to wait for the end of the day for that to happen. It's immediate. We can have that quick, short conversation, you know, at, you know, plan to meet up for dinner to have a celebration. All of that can happen in these miniature bites. And I personally have better conversations and better communication with people than I used to, not only because I I talk to them more, but because I don't feel the guilt surrounding not answering the phone when they would call. Because I used to do that if I I, I would let it go to voicemail or let it go to um, the answering machine back at the back when there was answering machines because I didn't want to do it. I wanted to do it on my own time, not when somebody else was there to talk to me. So um, texting, I think, is really and and other chat services has made it a lot easier to communicate. Yeah, it's it's absolutely uh, allowed us to communicate with more people somewhat simultaneously than. Uh, than ever before. And as long as you're able to manage those interactions in a way where they're, they're still meaningful interactions, it's, uh, I see it as a positive. Um, you mean a bitmoji you... isn't an, uh, a meaningful interaction? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, of course you, you, you start to go down the, the rabbit hole of all the extra features in messaging apps that are, uh, kind of superfluous, but it, it does enable a lot of people to stay in touch uh, far easier and it lowers the barrier for people to continue to talk or talk more regularly than, you know, chiseling out a time to, to make a phone call. And, you know, just like you guys, I, I despise phone calls as well, uh, whether it's, you know, official business or, you know, you have to call a company or you have to call a person, uh, that you actually want to talk to. It's, uh, it it doesn't say anything about them. It's it's about you just not wanting to have to be tied down to a single task like that. Uh, so messaging helps fill the gap a, a ton. Okay, so um, let's let's shift a little bit to New Year's resolutions because I'd love to hear what all of you would like to see either carried over into 2019 or changed in 2019. Uh, both internally with with how you interact with technology and the culture at large um and and those could be two very different things but i think it speaks to are you currently satisfied with the way that we interact with our phones with our smart homes with um with the the big tech companies that own us for lack of a better term or does that really need to shift uh significantly next year and i'll start with you russell well, I, so this is always a weird one because it's the by nature of doing what we do for a living, we don't use our phones like normal people. And we don't use a lot of technology like normal people. We are so far from kind of that that uh, kind of what we would consider normal that it's it's difficult to uh, it's difficult to be angry at services for not supporting me as a specific kind of user. But that's regularly what I find myself running into. Like uh, I, you know, I, I don't like the way, uh, you know, Google inbox kind of went away this year, uh, cause I was a huge inbox fan. Uh, and there's not really an alternative that, that handles, uh, email and, and, and kind of task management in the same way. Uh, and I lost a couple other apps this year through uh, a couple different, uh, shutdowns or, or just kind of feature deprecations. And so my phone, regardless of what platform it is, has just kind of become, less useful to me and it feels a lot more manual 
to do things like go through email. So I, that's kind of something that I, I hope happens this year as I find, uh, I find an email system that, that better suits the, the workflow that I want. Cause right now I don't, I don't have that. So you're not advocating for email to disappear. Just no, I mean, I, I, I understand that email is a necessary evil in, in much the same way that, uh, you know, 10 years ago, there was still a need for fax machines to exist, uh, for, for just large groups of people. But I, I, I just need something that, that handles my workflow a little better than what's available right now. Cause Gmail isn't it. I don't, I don't like the way Apple does email and, and there just really aren't a ton of other options because it turns out that actually managing email for people is expensive and hard. Uh, and then that's why so many of these services that popped up as uh, as kind of free options uh, just didn't survive the last couple of years. And even some that were uh, subscription options didn't survive. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. RIP Newton. Although it just got bought by uh, none other than essential, the thriving, <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> um, so Rubin excited! Startup. Um, actually, what's the parent company, Andrew? It's Playground. Playground Global. Global, right? So, Another thriving. Yeah, we'll uh, see. We'll see what happens. VC with incubator. That. Um, Andrew, you know how does how does 2019 look for you? Are you are you kind of set in your ways, or do you anticipate? shifting at all with you know how you use your phone do you do you anticipate phones themselves shifting significantly and and what kind of features they offer or you know is is 2019 going to be another iterative year in that in that respect uh i i actually think in terms of of phone features hardware capabilities it's going to be another uh it's going to be what which is it a is the talk the bigger one or the tick the bigger one the talk, I, I believe. Anyway, it's going to be the bigger of the two. Uh, 2018 was pretty bland and homogenous in in the phone world uh, in terms of just not having massive changes. Everything was really, really good. Uh, 2019 is going to be a year where there are lots of new whiz-bang features again in terms of hardware. Because so we're going to see foldable phones and uh, new camera technology. Five all kinds of things. very... 5G things, lots of very cool things that are very interesting to get you to use your phone even more and more and more. <laughs> and that is, of course, you know, directly opposed to this whole thing we've been talking about of using your phone less, um, which is something that I really want to work on e- even further. I want to reduce how much I look at my phone. I want to even maybe reduce how much I look at a computer because, you know, we've been talking about phones this whole time and we all spend all day in front of uh, multiple monitors, maybe multiple computers as well. Uh, so it's a little easier for us to say we're going to stop using our phones. But what about all the other screens, of course? And of course, you just you still have to follow. We're still going to have to follow this and use all this stuff and especially use all of the new features that tell people why they should spend $2,000 on a foldable phone or something like that. But And you know I, it's going to be $2,000. Absolutely. And, but when it's my own time away from work, I really want to try to reduce the amount that I spend just aimlessly scrolling through apps, like try to make everything a more purposeful action on the phone. That's, I mean, of course that's broad and it doesn't really have a, you know, a specific number or goal to it, but I think that I can, I can realize when I'm doing 
that aimless scrolling. And that's something that I can reduce a large amount of my phone usage just by just by cutting that part out. I feel like based on Andrew's answer, I have one thing I want to add. Mm-hmm. I want I want mobile devices to either stop pretending that they are that they are desktop devices or or actually figure it out. I don't know. I I feel like for a lot of people they don't need a desktop device and and mobile devices make it possible for people like my mom to not have a computer because she doesn't need it, but it gives her plenty of features to keep her going. I don't think most people are like us where when you use the word, you know, like a computer, we're thinking of all of these like sort of professional programs and user interfaces where like you know, 70% of the population just needs something to check their mail on and, and browse the internet on. No, totally. I, I think you're right. I think that, that these, well, that, and, but that's the thing, right? Uh, they're, they're 95% of the way there. Like if I look at, uh, the, uh, both the iPad pro, uh, the, the, the most recent one and the surface go, I use them both interchangeably throughout most of my week. I actually really enjoy using both of them, but I find myself when I travel, I need to bring both of them. Uh, because they they both have very specific weaknesses that the other comp you know uh, compensates for the the iPad Pro is super great at doing most things for me with my keyboard, uh, but I will inevitably run into an app that forces itself uh, horizontal instead of vertical <laughs> uh, that that I can't do anything about or or the app uh, you know doesn't quite do the same thing in its mobile version that it does in its browser version so I'm I'm less concerned with. Uh, you know, whether it can render video or, you know, do any of the, the things that we consider, you know, quote unquote, real work. It's just that that extra 5% that isn't quite there yet on these devices. That's that's what I want so that I can pick one of these and say, you know, yes, this this mobile device is my actual computer for a little while. And I think that, uh, you know, Andrew talking about the, the foldable phones is what brought this to me because that's that's going to be their selling point, right? The, the foldable phone is going to be the, the deal there is that that's going to be the one device that you can bring with you. Cause we've never heard that sentence before. Um, <laughs> and so like that, that's going to be Samsung's big pitch for that. And then the other companies that come in with their versions of foldable phones that towards the end of the year, like that's going to be the big pitch is that, you know, you, uh, you have this one device that is both a phone and a tablet or, or it's a you know a phone that is a bigger screen when you need it, and you just attach a little bit a little keyboard to it, and you've you've suddenly got the one thing that you need you know to when you when you travel to work, uh, and and that's the thing. I just want it to to be just a little bit closer to a complete thought because because right now the stuff that we have that makes that claim, be it iOS or Windows or Android, uh, some get closer than others, but they're they're just not not all the way there for me yet. And that I hope that I, I hope we see companies actually pushing the software closer to, to getting there this year, instead of coming up with novel hardware things with software that is still not fully baked. Yes. I have so many thoughts about that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say so many things, but we're running out of time. Laurie, what is, uh, what, what do you want to see for yourself and uh, for the rest of the industry in 2019? So I, I'm not, I'm not somebody who feels, like I've, I use my phone too much and I'm not saying that because I'm addicted and therefore I'm, I'm running from the truth. I really just, my, my after work life is, keeps me very busy. So I'm out doing things with friends all the time or I'm, you know, doing something with my band. So I don't feel like I need to, you know, put these restrictions on myself of use the phone less, 
keep my face away from the phone less. I, I spend eight hours in front of my computer. Actually, it's more like 10 or 12 hours, but it's for work. And then, then the computer shuts down and my phone just sits on, on a table until late, much later in the night because I'm engaging with a lot of things throughout the day. Um, so personally, I don't, it, you're going to laugh at this, but I think I want to go the opposite of you in that um, I want to spend more time playing video games, like console video games. I feel like I, I, I'm constantly wishing I had more time to sit on my butt and play video games instead of going out and having fun with my friends, which is the silliest thing to say. But um, I do, I do like, I miss out on, you know, spending three hours, you know, grinding through some really great game because I'm, I'm always out going out to breakfast or, you know, something like that. So Lori wants to crush Daniel and I in super smash brothers when we meet <laughs> oh up. Oh my God. CBS. I would love that. That's, that's yes. totally what, that's totally what she's aiming at here. Yeah. I, I'm going to bring you down, even though, again, I barely have played Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> I need to practice and get ready for it. That's right. Um, and then the, for the for the for tech in general, I think what I would like to see happen in 2019 is a call to action when it comes to privacy. I think we as consumers have allowed companies to do things with our data that we just kind of take. We we sort of say, well, I'm selling I'm, I'm selling or, you know, they're sort of like buying my information in exchange for this free service, and I'm willing to do that. But this year especially, we really learned a little bit more about what that means and and the sort of nefarious ways in which it's being used. Whereas before we felt like, well, yeah, you know, you know Google or Amazon or Facebook or Twi- Twitter, they're, they're providing me in a, ser- a service. So in exchange for it, you know, so what if they know, you know, where I am all the time or so what if they know my favorite soft drink but it's 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 really we've really kind of come to an understanding this year that that it's a lot deeper than just that and i think tech companies need to they need to get on board with our protection and they need to stop asking us to exchange our our personal data for for free services they need to be willing to um let us choose to pay for that service and in exchange for not sharing our data. And and then they need to follow through with that, with legitimately not sharing our data. I think um, more than ever, I've always been kind of like, we sold our soul to the devil 10 years ago. I might as well keep it going. But at this point now I'm starting to feel like the tables need to turn and our tech companies need to, they need to stop doing that. And we need to we need to say something to them so that they stop doing that and make it a little more transparent and make it, a little easier for us as consumers to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it and figure out ways to especially protect our privacy from hackers and other organizations that will do nefarious things with our data. So that is a, um, a really, really interesting topic, um, largely because it gets into the weeds of whether these companies will respond to the kind of pushback that you're you're talking about uh from the the greater user base right the average person now knows that facebook is not their friend and that you know for better or for worse in exchange for all of these awesome free services google is siphoning as much personal data from you as possible and you know google doesn't sell your data but it does have um it does use it in ways that will make you more susceptible to advertising. I think that statement, I, I've heard it a lot. And I, I think that we are 
misrepresenting what that means. No, they're not literally giving someone a, a file with our data on it in exchange for a certain amount of money. They would lose that data if they did that. They're not selling our data. They call it sharing. But it's the same thing. They're just not literally getting um, monetary compensation in exchange for no longer having that data that we have. But, you know, that information that 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 we kind of, you know, upload um, on our own with, a, with full knowledge that we're doing that, we're uploading that information to these companies, and then they're going to these other tech companies or these other organizations, and they're saying, we have data on everyone that's every white male age 30 to 40 living on the West Coast, what they're doing at two o'clock in the afternoon. Like, do you, could you use this information? Because if you could, we could provide some information to you. Like that's, it's not actually selling the data, but it is sharing our information in a way that we don't understand. It may not be bad, but we as consumers don't understand what's happening behind closed doors. I, I think that's right. I think the the thing that's missing in the conversation that we have about data privacy a lot is the the stuff in between, you know, where we know that the data is being collected and we know that when it comes to Google, that it benefits us when it comes to these kind of features. But there's not a lot of conversation about what happens in between and what that conversation looks and sounds like. And I think that the more we talk about that conversation, the less comfortable people will be about certain kinds of data being given. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because it's not about whether or not you um, give permission or don't give permission, because a lot of people give permission because they want that service. It's it's about what are you doing with it? Like, I'm giving you my information. Okay, I'm giving you my data. I'm allowing you to do, you know, X, Y, and Z um, in exchange for this free service. But tell me what you're doing with it. I think that that's like, it's this crazy, like, you know, you don't you don't go to the doctor and get a full physical exam, including the bend over, and then just let your doctor do whatever he wants with that data, with that information about your body. You would never do that. You wouldn't even let him, you know, stick a thermometer in your mouth without knowing for certain where that information is being stored and who it's being shared with. And here we are with our with our personal information. And because we want the free service, we give up our data and I do it. I'm not saying there's like, I am a part of this, but at some point I started thinking like, where is this data going? Who is getting this information? And how are these companies protecting me while sharing my data? Share my data. Just tell me what you're doing with it. Tell me who you're sharing it with and tell me what you're doing to protect me from the companies that would do nefarious things with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I I agree with you. We are all signing up voluntarily. We're we're pressing agree to those terms and conditions that nobody's reading. Um, and to some extent, I mean, the, you know, there are there are surveys and 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 research papers done on what companies are considered trustworthy, right? And you know, the Google is normally you know, up there in the relatively trustworthy, uh, Facebook recently is in the toilet because nobody <laughs> trusts Facebook rightfully. So, uh, and Apple as always is up near the top because Apple is not in the business of selling your data. Um, 
And, and then there are other companies that are sort of nobody really knows, right? Amazon, for instance. Amazon knows so much about you, not because it siphons your personal data, because it doesn't have access to it, but it does have access to what you buy and what you search for on Amazon. Um, and increasingly, Amazon is an advertiser because it can target products to you based on your searches in Amazon. Um, a lot of people don't, don't realize that what you search for on YouTube which is mm -hmm. not necessarily connected directly to Google. A lot of people know that Google owns YouTube, but that you know they don't really understand the relationship between your searches on YouTube and your searches on Google in general and how those two are uh, related. And I think that, you know, Andrew, you and I have talked many times about how valuable something like Google Photos is, where, mm -hmm. you know, in exchange for giving google access to the to all of this data and we don't really know what they're doing with it we think that they're using our face you know the the, the data that we give them for you know facial recognition and they're using our our images to improve their machine learning algorithms and to make it more likely that they'll accurately identify you or my dog or a baby or whomever right that's the thing that's the bargain that we're making with them Mm -hmm. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I just want to kind of bring it back to next year and whether companies like Google and Facebook will continue to be scrutinized even more than they were this year. And maybe with say a Democrat, a democratic Congress in the U S there will be talk of regulating, regulating these companies, um, and whether regulation is the answer because you brought up how doctors treat our personal data. Well, that's because there's regulation around um, you know, uh, patient-doctor confidentiality and how jurisdictions are required to treat your personal data, right? Your medical mm -hmm. records are secure because mm -hmm. there is an infrastructure in place to make sure that they're secure. Um, and we don't have those same um, that same infrastructure, those same roadblocks in the in the public sector because um, these companies, or you know, sorry, in the private sector because these companies, public though they may be, are public to shareholders and not necessarily to you as users. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, I I think that is going to continue to be a very heated conversation next year. I agree. And and it's it's an important conversation to continue. And you know, I I, I want to close off because I think that we've we've touched on a lot of very important topics and there's something to be said for how all of this stuff has an impact on us, more of an impact than I think we realize when we're just scrolling through Twitter and liking photos on Instagram. And I don't want to get into this whole monologue about how it's potentially dangerous and all that stuff. But all I'm going to say of myself is that I want to play way more video games in 2019. <laughs> I want to spend way less time liking photos on Twitter, on, on Instagram. And I want to spend even more time not thinking about screens because I have a, th right now my daughter is four months old. A year from now, she will be able to, understand that this phone is this shiny object that she's going to want to look at. She's already looking at screens when I put her in front of a TV mm -hmm. and she is mesmerized. And it terrifies me that when she's a year and a half and she's, you know, 
walking around and she wants to use my iPad and she knows that the iPad is the thing that will get her to calm down. And so do we. I don't want to be that parent who goes, sure, have have an iPad, have, um, you know, whatever show is popular at the time. Uh, what's that stupid dog show that everybody likes? Um, there's a bunch of them. Anyway, I, I can't you think of any. got me. Yep, I... that one dog show. Exactly. That's the problem. Yeah. There's so many it's basically, dog shows. It's whatever, whatever is on YouTube Kids next. Yeah. And that's like every 10 seconds. That's what's the coolest thing. Yeah. yeah I, I, I babysat my friend's kids um, for a few weeks. And My Little Pony was, I saw so many episodes of the new My Little Pony that I started to enjoy it. And then I started to resent myself for enjoying it because that's good. It's good. Yeah. It's a, it's a good show. And that's anyway, so that's besides the point, but I'm, I'm, I'm totally a brony (laughs) and I, and I just wanted to, you know, put it out there that like, it's really scary knowing that I don't police myself as much as I should. And I'm expected to police my daughter in the same way. And that all of these, um, all, all of, this research has been done about the psychological effects of screen time in infants and toddlers and young kids. And I have this responsibility to her. And as a result, I have this responsibility to myself. So yeah, it's, I think I'm super excited for dad, Dan in 2019. (laughs) I'm, I'm very, I, I genuinely hope that you write as much as possible about this because I didn't, when I was a new dad, uh, and I'm excited to see you do it. I hope that you do. Yeah, and that's another thing. I hope that we're all more creative in 2019. I hope that we have an opportunity to step back from the maelstrom of 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 sensor uh, of sensory activity of of everything coming at us. And I would like to put myself in the equivalent of a sensory deprivation chamber and just write creatively in ways that I haven't for many years and i think we owe it to ourselves to do that because you know this is it's a fun job but it's a taxing job and you know there's nothing better than just to take ourselves away from it and like draw or write or engage that part of the brain that just gets our creative side going and i and i really hope uh, that we get to do that next year so huh I think this was this was good. This was very cathartic for me. This I don't know about you. Solid therapy <laughs> session, everyone. Uh, um, you, I'll be sending you all uh, bills um, yeah. for the hour that you spent with me. <laughs> now, you're a great you're a great therapist, Lori. I appreciate it. I think we're going to end it there because, you know, you're you're all going to be listening to this probably um, either right before New Year's or on New Year's Day. I hope that, you know, if you are taking some time off, you are enjoying it, you're relaxing with family and friends, and that you had a really great uh, holiday season and, and, and Christmas. So, um, Andrew, Russell, thank you so much. Uh, you're You're awesome, as always. And thank you, Russell or um, Lori. This has been such a pleasure. Um, if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you on the internet? 
They can find me on Twitter at Appaholic. That's A-P-P-A-H-O-L-I-K. And they can find me at Lori Gill at most of the other social things. They can find me writing all about Apple and the expanded tech universe at iMore. And that's iMore.com. Yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> and uh, we're all at AndroidCentral.com. Our friends at Windows Central are also out there in the universe. And don't forget... Um, if you were alarmed at this new, that the, at this strange entry into the Android Central podcast list last week, that was none other than Phil Nickinson and our own Jerry uh, Hildenbrand um, doing uh, an episode of the Cord Cutters podcast on our feed. So if you haven't subscribed to that one, please go do so at Cord Cutters. You can search for it in iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Search for Lori's podcast. You have your own at uh, the iMore podcast, uh, which is pretty fantastic, which you host as well. Yes, iMore Show podcast. And uh, all of you send us your feedback to podcast at androidcentral.com. And thank you so much for an amazing 2018. It's been such a pleasure having you. We get so many great emails uh, in response to these shows, and it warms my heart, even when you're criticizing our thrifter ad spots, <laughs> which happens so much. <laughs> uh, we really love it because the feedback means a lot to us. So happy new year. Have a great 2019. Thank you for listening, and we will speak to you very soon. Bye, everybody. See you later. Bye. <laughs>